Now, if you've got a Bible, go to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to continue our study through the book of Philippians, looking at the idea of thanksgiving and living in a state of thanksgiving. The last time that you and I were in this text together, um, we saw Paul writing this letter to the believers, to the church at the church of Philippi. So remember, Philippi was an actual place and it was a church. It was a body of believers, just like this body of believers. But it was in Philippi and, and there was a body of believers that were at this place. And he was writing a letter of encouragement. And if you remember the tone of the letter was a tone of, of gratitude, a tone of thanksgiving, a, a tone of, of thankfulness for the church, for those that were contending for the gospel. Now, one of the things that we need to remember, he was not writing this from the four seasons. He wasn't writing this at a resort. He was actually writing this from prison. He was in prison for the cause of the gospel. And so he's writing this letter of gratitude while in chains. Think about that. How many of us in the room could write a letter of gratitude while in chains in prison? It's a difficult thing, right? So the tone of the letter is the tone of gratitude and thankfulness for the church, those who served in the church. He's eternally grateful for those who are standing firm on the gospel while he is in prison. So... um, Understanding the gravity of God's goodness towards us as individuals should cause us to retain and propel an attitude of gratitude in the places where you and I frequent. So, this morning as we dive into the text, I want us to see this through those lenses and then... Like we're we're going to talk about a couple different things here this morning that I, I think need to be talked about from the text. Because, listen... Yes, this is a season of thanksgiving, but we're entering a time in human history that I believe that it is, it is becoming more and more um, problematic to be a biblical Christian. Now, cultural Christians, they aren't going to have any issues because, well, not on this side of the grave. <laughs> uh, now, post-grave, they're going to have some problems, but cultural Christians don't have much to worry about in the culture in which we live. But biblical Christians, those who stand for biblical Christianity, are going to have a lot of the same problems that Paul had in this text. So let's go to the Lord in prayer over this text. Father, I thank you for the morning. <clears throat> I thank you for the opportunity to open the word. I thank you that you have given me the breath to be able to do this. Father, I cannot relay biblical truth on my own. I have no power in and of myself. Father, I ask humbly this morning that your Holy Spirit would take over and relay the truth of the text to the people that are gathered here, the people that are listening. Father, I have no ability in and of myself without your Holy Spirit directly intervening. Fill me with your spirit with a double portion of that, Father. For your glory may we study this text today. We love you. Amen. All right, let's look at verse 12 of Philippians chapter 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance 
the gospel. So, what's happened to Paul? We know because we looked at that earlier this month in the text in the first half of Philippians chapter 1. He's addressing his journey to Rome and his imprisonment while in Rome. So he's in Rome, in prison, and because of what has happened, this has served to catapult the advancement of the gospel. Him being in prison is actually making the local news. It's making news that he's in prison. Why? Because he has been such a thorn in the side of the government. Now, this has, been a, this has been a big problem here for Rome. And those that are in Rome, they, they, they placed him in, in a specific place. And you're going to see that here in just a minute. But he's thankful. And he's telling the brothers in, in the church, he's writing this letter. And he says, I'm in an attitude of thankfulness. I, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has served to advance the gospel. So he is thankful to the Lord that he has been able to have the gospel advanced by him being in prison. Even through trials, even through problematic issues, he's standing firm in knowing who holds his eternity. And, and this is something that you and I as believers should be, we should be doing the same exact thing. Even when things are tough, even when we're in the midst of trials, even when things are good too, but especially when things are problematic and, and troublesome, we should understand that we are, as believers, advancing the gospel through our trials. Let's keep reading in verse 13. <clears throat> so that it has become known throughout the entire imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. So Paul, people around Paul understood that he was not in prison because he was a criminal, like he had murdered someone or he had stolen some property, he had done something of that nature. Rather, it was because he was a follower of Jesus and a proclaimer of the resurrection of Christ. This is why he was in prison. That he was a thorn in the side of those that were in power. The word imperial guard here has a special meaning. Paul was a who's who of the prison. This imperial guard means a house of command or a headquarters. So Paul was not just in some little cell in the back quarter of the prison. He was actually at the headquarters of the prison with Roman army officials. So all those that were in leadership in the Roman army, Paul's in that prison. <laughs> Paul is sitting in the midst of all of the Roman leaders. And think about that opportunity. Think about what opportunity he had to invest in these men that were guarding him. This imperial guard. It says, because throughout all the entire guard, the entire imperial guard, they know me. They know about me. And that the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. So, Paul has this opportunity to share the gospel with those that are in power in Rome. And he is talking about it from a stance of gratefulness. He's not going, well, you know where I'm over here in the headquarters with all these losers. No, he's, I'm in the Imperial Guard headquarters with the leadership. And it's for, it's for the cause of Christ that I'm here. And because of Paul's faithful witness... In the midst of his imprisonment, because of his 
attitude of Holy Spirit-filled gratefulness, it causes the brothers in the church to even be even more bold in their approach to the gospel. Verse 14 tells us this. And most of the brothers have, been, have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and much more bold to speak the word without fear. So, listen, one of the things that would maybe cause us to be afraid is to be like, listen, our pastor got thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. I'm going to try to tone it down and be quiet. That has, it has the opposite effect on the church. Their leader gets thrown in prison. They're like, I'm going to go even harder. I'm going to get even more loud. I'm going to get even more bold about the things of Christ because Paul is in prison. So I'm telling you, there's, there, there's a time and a place that we're walking into that we may have to be Paul's. We may, we may need to be bold in our stance for the gospel because there may be a time and a place when biblical Christianity is going to be thrown into, thrust into a prison cell because we stand on thus saith the Lord about not just political issues, but cultural issues as well. But Paul goes on and talks about this in a minute. Um, but it's interesting, even in the midst of all of these things that are advancing the gospel, they're excited about this, there are some who are jealous of Paul's ministry. Listen, I, I'm, I'm, I wish I knew the Lord the way Paul did, but that part of going to prison, I'm not jealous of that part of the ministry. Anybody else, I'm not thinking to myself, you know what, put me in a jail cell, Father. No, Anybody in here signing up for that ministry? No, I don't, I don't want that ministry. Now, if the Lord wants me there, I'll go willingly. I'll start, a jail, I'll, I'll start a prison ministry. Now, I'm not looking for it, but if God places me there, that's fine. But look at this in verse 15. It says, Some indeed preach Christ for, from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerity, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So these guys that are trying to do this, they're trying to figure out a way to one-up Paul and get a better ministry platform than Paul has. What then, verse 18, only that in every way, whether pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and because of that, I rejoice. Now here's the deal. Paul's dealing with this very well from both sides. Some men indeed preached Christ from envy and rivalry. Some were wanting to try to rival Paul's ministry because they were envious of his apostleship. Him being an apostle, they were jealous and they wished they could be an apostle. Listen, we live in a culture today that, that we've got people on religious television that say they're apostles. I need you to understand something. That time is over. You do not need apostles anymore. Apostles were meant for bringing us the Bible. We have the Bible. We no longer need apostles. Apostles were men who, were, had, who had direct interaction with the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you hear somebody on TBN or some other religious channel get up and say, Oh, Apostle Chuck here, Apostle Smith, know that they are a false teacher. That is not anywhere taught in the text. Those that were apostles had direct interaction with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That is not happening in 2022 because we don't need it to happen anymore. Why? Because we had the complete revelation of the Bible for us in 2022. We don't need apostles anymore. The apostles wrote everything down and it's right here for us. The scriptures have everything we need right here, right now. So when you have people that stand up and say they're apostles, they're rivaling the things of Paul. They're rivaling the things of Paul. So that's what they're trying to do here in this text. What that means is that Paul had special power, special authority from God. He could heal. Like his handkerchief could heal people. His apron could heal people. That wasn't because Paul was awesome. That was because Paul was endowed by the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do things that were absolutely otherworldly. Other realms. It's not just something that Paul could just manifest and say, hey, my jacket here, somebody touch it and I can heal somebody. That, that wasn't Paul. That was God doing things through Paul. And sometimes what happens is God grants people um, the ability to, to stand in places and do things and people get envious of that. I, I've noticed in ministry, it's just a strange and weird thing where some men get envious of other men's platforms, other men's preaching ministries, other men's um, teaching ministries, and they get jealous over those things. And I'm telling you, this ain't about me. This isn't about some other pastor. All of the things that we do from this sacred desk should point men and women to Christ, not to an individual or a human being. Amen? Christ should be the one that is lifted up, not men. It is Christ to be lifted up. Listen, don't be envious of those in ministry. Don't don't compare your ministry to somebody else's ministry. If you've got one, don't, don't do that. That's silly. Because ultimately, it's not about you and I. It's about Christ. It's about Christ. But some did it. Now listen, Paul does prefaces. Some of these men do it from goodwill. Verse 16, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. There were some brothers who were preaching the genuine, true gospel, saying, listen, Paul's in prison, so guess what? I'm going to try to carry the mantle as best I can for the glory of God. (laughs) There are so many brothers who have one desire, and that's to make much of Jesus. And this is the thing, I, I like to surround myself with brothers who love Jesus well. Many of you in this room have met those men who have stood in this pulpit and have proclaimed, thus saith the Lord from the word. I I don't want to be in a room where there is a rivalry over who can articulate something better. Rather, I want to be in a room with men who want to propel Jesus into the atmosphere, whether they do it with an articulate word or they just have the faithfulness to know who Jesus is they stand behind the sacred desk and they share Christ well that's all that matters that's it and and for the other group for the other group even though they came from a place of envy and rivalry and selfish ambition Paul does say listen I know you're trying to make jabs at me about my ministry But what you are doing is God's still using you. So listen, don't think because God's using you, you're anything special. Because ultimately, he says, 
Christ is proclaimed, and so for that, I rejoice. They're trying to make jabs at me, but what they're ultimately doing is they actually are preaching the gospel, so I'm rejoicing over it. Even they're trying to hurt my feelings, they're still proclaiming the gospel. So just because if God gives you a platform, don't think you're anything special. Because God spoke through a donkey, and he's been speaking through donkeys ever since. Amen? That's, just, just the, that's the truth. That's the truth. Why would Paul rejoice over this? Because his ministry is not about him. It's about Christ. And when we get the spotlight off of us and onto the one who deserves to be lifted up, that's when things will begin to work the way they're supposed to work. And so he continues in verse 15, or verse 18, Yes, I rejoice. I rejoice in this. Why? He has a state of rejoicing and thanks and thanksgiving. Because, verse 19, I know that through your prayers and through the help of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He is absolutely in a state of thanksgiving, in a thankful state, in a grateful state. And I need you to understand this. Your prayers, listen, your prayers for your pastor and for those in in the body of Christ have power. Paul just says right here, listen, I am so thankful. I am so grateful. I know that your prayers, number one, your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ will turn out for my deliverance. Revelation chapter 8 verses 3 through 5 says, And another angel came and stood at the altar with the golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumbles, rumblings, flashing of lightning and earthquakes. So there's there's an imagery here in Psalms chapter 141 verse 2. It says, let my prayers be counted as incense before you and lifting them up my hands as in the evening sacrifice notice the imagery here the prayer the prayer of the saints is compared to incense when you light an incense my my daughter hates it but i have these little pine incense pieces that i like to light in my house that smells like pinion pine anybody else big fans of pinion pine smell i love the smell of pinion pine i light this incense and it is a fragrance that I love in my home. The idea in the text here, the imagery in this text, that the prayers of the saints are compared to incense and coming alongside incense in both of the texts, these prayers have power. So Paul is telling us, he's telling the church that the prayers of the believers and with the help of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, I'm going to be delivered. I have confidence that I'm going to be delivered. Now, he goes a little bit further in the text in verse 20. And he says, As it is my eager expectation and the hope that I will not be at all ashamed. So Paul has an expectation here that he is going to keep doing what he's doing in this life. He said, listen, I'm not dying yet. That's what he's saying here is, I'm not going to die. 
Because God's got a ministry for me. God's got a plan for me. Now, here's, the, here's what I wanted to tell you. Nobody dies early. If you're a believer in Christ, you're not dying early. You die when you're supposed to. Because every one of us who are in Christ have a calling on our lives to do something specific in this present world. So Paul has this expectation. The Greek word here means that he was confident that he was going to continue his ministry because of what Jesus had told him he was going to do. Amen? Verse, he continues in verse 20. But with that full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by my death or my life, for to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego moment. He's in prison. Now remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were in prison for what reason? Because they would not bow to a false god. And the king said, throw them in jail. They're going to be burned alive. We're going to kill them because they would not worship a false god. Paul's in prison because he would not proclaim the false god of the government of the day. He proclaimed Christ, Christ crucified, and Christ risen again. So he's in prison for the same idea here. Paul's, in essence, saying, I know that God can deliver me. But even if he does not, God's still good and worth my praise and worth my sacrifice. To to live as Christ, to die as gain. To live as Christ and to die as gain. I mean, you could not keep Paul down. Paul had... Just an optimistic outlook on life. We're going to kill you. Awesome. I'm going to go see Jesus. We're going to let you live. I'm going to live as Christ. We're going to put you in prison. Awesome. I'm going to convert all your guards. Like, this guy knew who he served. He knew who he served. What would it look like if all of us, as Christ followers, had this kind of mindset? Verse 22. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means faithful labor for me. So he said, listen, if I'm going to live, I'm going to do what Christ has called me to do. And I'm going to see men and women come to know who Jesus Christ is. I'm going to see them come to to a saving faith. Keep me alive and watch what happens. We're going to have revival. He's good with doing either or, living or dying. Because Christ was going to be honored through either war. Yet, let's keep going, verse 22. Yet, what should I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. So Paul's saying, listen, if I'm going to be honest with you all, I'm in a little bit of a quandary, because here's what I'd like to do. Go ahead and kill me. Send me on home. Because I'd much rather be with Christ. That would be far better. I remember when my dad was sick, sick, sick. And he's just like, man, I'm, I'm done. I am ready to go home. I want to see my Savior and I want to see Janie. In that order. <laughs> that, was, that was what he said. I'm telling you, for a believer, death is not the end. Death is just the beginning. Just the beginning. So he knows that God has work for him to do. So he tells him in verse 24, But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. 
Come on, church. The reason I got to be here? Because of you. That's what he says. Verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and your joy in the faith. So he said, listen, I know I'm not dying. Why? Because I've got to come back and I've got to preach to you people one more time about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going anywhere. I've got to be here to help you advance in your progress in your faith. I've got to be here for your joy, to show you that Christ is more than sufficient. So what he was saying here is that God has tasked him with coming to you to bring you joy and to help you in your faith. So don't worry. As you're reading this letter, don't Don't worry. I'm not going to die yet, but I need you all to understand that if I do die, I'm totally fine with it. I'm totally okay with it, but I'm quite confident that I'm not going anywhere yet. So God wants me to be with you to help you understand your Christian journey. So he ends the chapter with his encouragement and this challenge in verse 27. He says, Only with your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Don't fall into the traps of the devil, in other words. Don't fall into the traps of Satan. The devil is trying to lay traps for you. Don't Fall for it. Stand firm in your faith. You as a church have this one mindset. And that one mindset is this. The advancement of the gospel is the priority. And then he encourages them then in the last part of this. He says, do not be frightened in anything that your opponents, that are done by your opponents. Don't be afraid. This is a clear sign to them that their destruction is coming, but of your salvation, and that, and that that this is from God. Don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them that their destruction is it's on the way. Don't be afraid, but that your salvation is from God. Do not be afraid of anything that the forces of darkness will throw at you, because I have overcome the forces of darkness. Woo! I'm telling you, this is a letter that says, listen, church, do not give up. Keep pressing forward. Keep going. Dear child of God, I'm going to tell you this morning, you're safe. You are safe. You're secure in Christ because of Christ, not because of me, not because of you. You're not secure in the, in the corridors of heaven because of your good works. The only reason we're secure in Christ is because of Christ. Because Christ did the work necessary on Calvary's cross to save you and to redeem you and reconcile you. That's that's good stuff. And that's all you need. And then he gives a warning. In the last part of this text. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So he's, listen, don't be afraid of what's coming, but guess what? There are going to be things that are coming. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and here now that I still have. So he says here, here's what Paul's saying. If you stand for the faith of the, of the, of the gospel, 
there's going to be a good chance that you're going to be in prison with me. But I don't want you to back down. I don't want you to be afraid of what the, the forces of darkness will throw at you. Stand firm in the gospel. You will in this life, as a Christian, suffer if you stand for the things that are good and righteous and holy and biblical. Like I said this morning, there is a difference between cultural Christianity, people who just tack Jesus on at the end of their life, But have no other difference, have no other pursuit, have no other desires to see, things, to see the things of God. They're so focused on this present world, and they're like, oh yeah, I'll throw Jesus in on Sunday morning. I'm telling you, if this is all of Jesus you're getting, you ain't getting very much. If this is all the Bible you get in this hour, I promise you, you ain't getting very much. You ain't getting very much. You will in this life, as a Christian, suffer if you stand for what the, what the Bible says. But Paul encourages us here to say, that's okay. That's okay. Keep doing it. I, I want us all to understand here that there is coming a day for all of us that we may be tested very soon as the world gets darker and darker and pushes harder and harder against the things that advance Jesus. What's one of the most, you know what's made fun of more than anything in the world? They don't make fun of Islam. They don't make fun of Buddhism. They don't make fun of any, you know what they make fun of? They make, they mock the things of Jesus. Biblical Christianity is mocked wholesale in the marketplace. Why? Because the enemy hates God. And he knows that his ultimate destruction is coming. So what is he trying to do in the interim? Destroy the thing that God has created. But I can tell you this much, according to the Bible, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the kingdom of God. God's going to win in the end, amen? God is going to win in the end. That's the reason Paul says, do not be frightened at anything that your opponents throw at you. Trust in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be just fine. And then he says, engage in the same conflict that you saw that I had and that I still have. You might be going there you may be going to prison, but keep going. Keep fighting. Keep full-fledged. He cheers them on. Fight harder. Do what's necessary to fight against the evil world system. Don't be afraid. Engage in the same conflict. The wording here is, listen, we used to sing it in Vacation Bible School. I'm in the Lord's army. I may never march in the infantry. Ride in the cavalry. Shoot the artillery. I may never fly or the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. You remember that? That's the truth. That's the absolute truth that you are in the Lord's army and you are engaged in a fight. You and I are engaged in a fight. Dear beloved of Jesus, those of us who follow the Lord Jesus Christ will have hardships but know this, that Christ will walk with you through those moments. Listen, I need you to understand something. Jesus didn't say he'll pull you out of all the valleys of the shadows of death. What did he say in Psalms 23? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? 
because you are with me. You may have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but trust and know that Jesus Christ will be with you as you're walking in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. And you don't have to fear any evil. Why? Because Christ has conquered evil. Listen to me, church. I honestly believe that we are coming to a time very quickly that sermons like this, sermons like this, and having a stance for things like the sanctity of life and the sacredness of marriage are going to land guys like me in prison. And people like you in prison if you, if you believe and trust in that. Because, listen... I want you guys to understand something. I was telling the Sunday school classes this morning. These two mainline ideas, the sanctity of life and the sacredness of marriage, those two things were created by God himself. And the enemy is attempting to attack both of those things. The, the sanctity of life, it's not really a baby in the womb. It's just, a, it's just tissue. It's just tissue. Is it? No. God says... That the baby inside of, of Mary's sister leaps at the side of Jesus. John the Baptist leaps in the womb when he just is next to baby Jesus in the womb too. He does backflips and his mom is, whoa, oh, the baby within me did leaps. When Guess what? That baby is a baby. And guess what? The, ba- the word baby, the word infant, the word fetus, that, that, that baby... The same word is used in the text to talk about the baby that flipped in the uterus. It's the same word that was used in Luke chapter 2 that said Mary laid baby Jesus into a manger. The same word for infant, the same word for baby is used in the uterus, the outside of the uterus. So yes, it is a baby in the uterus. It is a human being. It's not just a pump of tissues. It's a real baby. I'm telling you, these two mainline ideas drive everything else in the world. Those two things, the sanctity of marriage between one man and one woman propels and births out other human beings. That God said, this is how I'm going to make human beings. I'm going to place a woman and a man together and they're going to make other men and women. So what would Satan want to try to do? Destroy that thing. Destroy the thing that makes other human beings that would advance the gospel. What, what does Satan want to do from the beginning of creation? Destroy the family. Pervert the family. What's the family now? Well, it could be whatever you want it to be. It be one man, one man, one woman, one woman. It could be two men and one woman. It could be whatever you want it to be. No. God has a specific design. And if you deviate from that specific design, you are under God's wrath. Period. Now, I want you to see this because... I told the Sunday school class in Judges chapter 6, in Judges chapter 6, that things that the devil was doing in Judges chapter 6 is the same things he's doing in in 2022. The same exact things. These two ideas are not just consequential and just off to the side. These are actual ideas that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has authored. He has authored life and he has authored authored biblical marriage. And the devil in Judges chapter 6 uses the government and has two different types of altars. A worship to one called Baal 
and another one called Ashtoreth. The temple of Ashtoreth was the temple of sexual immorality. Perversion of sex, a.k.a. the LGBTQ community in 2022. Let's pervert sexuality. Let's pervert marriage. Let's pervert this thing. And let's have these giant nasty clubs and, and pride events and organizational events where we just flaunt our disgustingness before the entire world. Oh, and by the way, we might have some unwanted pregnancies out of this sexual immorality. And what do we need to do? So Ashtoreth was that one. And what's right next to the, the temple of sexual immorality? The temple of child sacrifice, Baal. So when you have sex anyway, you just have immorality in the way you all, any way you want to do it, and the, that unwanted baby comes about, what do you do? You take that baby in Judges chapter 6 and you throw it into the fires of Baal because, well, I need to have, be prosperous. When you throw your child into the, to the temple of Baal, those children were, were thrown there for what reason? For prosperity. So that I could advance my financial peace and prosperity and comfort. I'm telling you, those two things are still prevalent today. The devil is using the same tricks, just got new names on them. LGBT is the same thing as Astrith. Planned Parenthood is Baal. We take these women, these, I'm sorry, these men take these men, I use that term very loosely, these men take these women to Planned Parenthood and they sacrifice their babies on the altar of comfort. That is what the majority of what happens at a Planned Parenthood. Thank God God, we got that thing shut down in Oklahoma. We need to work on it up here in Kansas, too. We can do it. If we can get it done in Oklahoma, we can get it done in Kansas. We can shut these things down. Because here's the, there's coming a day when we will shut this. God will shut it all down. Why in the world will we not be about the Father's business now in 2022? And I, I want to be a Gideon. God gave Gideon a specific plan. He said, I want you to go down and I want you to tear down the, the, the altar to Baal and to Ashtoreth. And then on top of those things, I want you to build up an altar to the King Jesus. Woo! Now that, that'll preach. Gideon was called to tear down these two altars. Dear Christian, we are called by God to stand up against evil and tear down the wickedness in this world. Don't cave to it. Oh, I don't know, Caleb. I've got people I know that, are, that have done both those things, so I don't want to offend anybody. Grow up. Grow up. Because, listen, if you're not loving enough to tell somebody that they've done something wicked, I can promise you God will one day. And you know what they're going to look at you and say? The Scripture says that their blood over your hands. On the day of judgment. How about that? You don't like that one, do you? I'm telling you, if we don't wake up to the absolute hellishness that is happening in our world, it's going to kill us very, very soon. And even if that happens, glory to God. If, if I get killed as a result, if I get killed as a result of standing for the things of the glory of, for the gospel, so be it. Well, Caleb, that can, we won't grow our church. So if you stop, you talk like this. We're still growing to the glory of God. Not because I'm doing it. Because God's word is faithful. God's word is faithful. 
Jesus is with us in the good and even in the midst of bad. We need to trust in who he is and we need to be thankful that he has allowed us to stand in the presence of him who has no sin. We need to be thankful that God has allowed us to do the things that we're doing, to make the war against, to advance against the evilness of our day. God's given us a mandate to stand up against this stuff. How do you know that? Read Judges 6. Gideon, they said, tear this down. Well, I don't want to be, I don't want to be like Gideon. I want to be like Lot. I want to be a social, I want to be a socially influenced individual. That's what Lot was. Lot was a man who influenced the culture in, in Sodom. He got to sit at the city gates and he influenced the culture. And when those two angels came to, came to his house, all of the men of that culture descended from Sodom and those two cities, descended on Lot's house and said, send, these angels, send those men out that we may know them. That's the old Greek term for let's have sex. And instead of saying, repent of that, you know what he says? Oh, brothers. How about my, how about my girls? You take my daughters instead. Yeesh. We, got a lot of, we got a lot of people that are a lot like Lot. We need people to be more like Gideon. We need more people like Paul. They'll stand up for the gospel to stand solid, squarely on the, on the, the word of God and say, thus saith the Lord about this, come what may. If you get offended, that's not... Here's, here's why, if you're offended here this morning, you come to me and you can apologize to me and I'll, I'll forgive you for being offended at me. How about that? How about that? Well, I'm offended at you, pastor. Okay. Come and apologize to me. Because listen, that didn't come from thus saith Caleb. Thus saith the word of God about these things. Paul was in prison because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Gideon was standing up for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in Judges 6. He was standing up for what was right and good and what God told him to do. Paul was doing what God told him to do what's God told you to do I don't know Caleb read the Bible and you'll find out he says to stand up for things like this stand up for the sacredness of marriage stand up for the sacredness of 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 life stand up for the propelling of the gospel don't cave and get a sausage back now stand up wake up stand for what's right and true amen got a couple in the room I'm telling you, this is the season we need to be most thankful that God has given us this ministry. And yes, may it be difficult? Could we lose some, some, some liberties here? Could we lose some freedoms as a result of standing for the gospel? Yep. Could we get thrown off of our social media platforms? Possibly. But in the long-term scheme of things, who cares? Who cares? I want to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Not, depart from you, I don't know who you are. That's what we need to be doing. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together.